1: Hi, I'm Brendan from Bristol. You're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what's the biggest animal you could take in a fight? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything.
2: Hello everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizza. Hello, and a mix of very special guests posed the questions that need to be asked, and we're talking everything from.
0: Well, we're talking everything from Brendan from Bristol's question: What's the biggest animal you could take in a fight? <laughs> Dane, Good question. Good question. Dane. Um, I'm going to go probably. Qu- I mean, it's, by, by by taking a fight,
2: I assume he means kill. Oh, I mean, in your, maybe I guess if you say so, Howard. He didn't mention kill here. Mm, um, I'm but... going to. I'm going to suggest kind of
0: nothing more than a than a big dog <laughs> that's where West where I've got
2: to um, Dane what do you reckon well, since you took the levels up to a death match Howard I'm probably <laughs> you i not know, going to go with I'm going to go with the llama because it's a rat it's quite big but they don't know they can do anything and one lock <laughs> punch to the neck this is terrible this is a terrible great question but the answer I'm giving is terrible yeah. but, uh, so I'd have to take the swing at a llama I feel like I couldn't I would, kill a horse I couldn't kill a horse I know I couldn't kill a horse couldn't but kill couldn't, a horse they kill me yeah, they kill was, me that's it. And also, I don't. I, I would prefer not to kill anything that's endangered because then it's right. the added bad press. So I think llamas, they seem to be there at petting zoos and stuff. They're relatively docile. And I feel like I can still do cage fighting rules. They can tap out or knock out. I don't have to kill a llama. Yeah. I just don't and want it to my it, like it's, it.
0: easy, it's easy to put a, sli- a llama in a sleeper hold, I imagine. But there you we'll, go. Yeah, um, I'll do something like that. Listen, Brendan, I hope that helped you. And um, look, suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions,
2: don't we, Dane? Absolutely. Uh, no question is too big, too small, too smart, or too silly. And if you do like the show, Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of our special questions being answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a British stand-up comedian, actor and radio presenter and writer. He was nominated for Lester Mercury Comedian of the Year in 2016. He has supported, among others, his very talented mother, Angela Moore, and the King of Comedy, Dave Chappelle, as well as Kojo Anim on tour. His Edinburgh debut show, Funny, Petty, Cool, received critical acclaim. and he's also the creator and co-presenter of the popular weekly boxing podcast, Undefeated, with fellow comedian, KG the Comedian, who is enjoyed by many people, including Eddie Hearn. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Travis J. Hey, what's
1: going on, guys? Yeah, going thanks for having me,
2: man.
0: Thanks for having me. Clearly, you. Travis, clearly, Travis, we want to know what kind of animal, what's the biggest animal you think you could kill, mate?
1: So, like... As a pugilist that, as well, because... Yeah, this is this Yeah, is as a, as a pugilist, up, like, you,
2: you're trained, so...
1: <laughs> I take a kangaroo. I take a, a medium-sized kangaroo.
2: That's what I'm saying that's a real a purist, you know. Because yeah, yeah. You, can take a, you can take an easy animal. But see, you, have,
1: you obviously want to work out. How you because they they be boxing. That's what I'm saying. Like, put some gloves on him, and we could just go rules of Queen's breed and just go for it, man. Like, I like that. Can they the use tails?
2: Is he, is he allowed to use the tails and the feet? No,
1: nah, I think we need to. Might we might have to nail that down because yeah, that yeah, tail whip yeah. might be insane. Yeah, I'm going for it, man. I can see it. I can see it working out. Yeah,
0: just want to make clear to all the listeners who are animal lovers, we are not actively looking to do this. No, yeah, no animals be harmed in
2: this hypothetical scenario. However, listeners, I want to let you know that the way that uh, mainstream media is declining every day in morality, we're not too far off interspecies fighting.
0: Yeah, comedians versus animals. I can already see the TV. Pitch, also, you know, I think I saw easy. on the
2: internet that they mixed a human embryo with a pig one. Like, <laughs> I saw that pic- somewhere. Is there pictures? I, I might be online. You can find like, yeah, it's like a, a human a human, a human, a pig, human. Um, hybrid embryo. And I'm saying
1: Ew.
2: that could be bred for fights. It's not earth. <laughs> it happens in space. If you go to a virgin, <laughs> if you go to a, virg- a virgin boxing match hosted by Richard Branson, Travis, Elon Musk, fam. Elon Musk is going to be the Elon Musk one. will be. Will definitely be the sponsor Chessler's for the well. promotions. Tesla promotions for interspecies and war. Yeah, I mean, the future is so bleak in that respect. It's (laughs) (laughs) real.
0: It's all over. Welcome to the end of the world.
2: Can I just say, there there is a show that I saw in America (laughs) where the people had to do a tug of war against a fully grown bear and then try and beat (laughs) it in an eating contest of having raw salmon and blueberries. And they lost every single time. (laughs) (laughs) as we all expected <laughs> it's like why bother? Why bother? why
1: bother why bother if a bear was coming at you they say like stand still right is that is that like, I think
2: it, it, it may vary between bears because uh, you see if they're fine if, if you're maybe you're supposed to be that like, big as well mm. there's another bear if you play dead um, I think the best way to deal with the bear attacks is the way human beings are dealing with it ecological devastation it's mm. just mashing up the habitats mashing them up all the yeah. time <laughs> You can, you so can by moan. the time they get to you they are so malnourished <laughs> so
1: malnourished there's no power at all it's, not, yeah. it's
2: barren gumming it, up because gumming up your arm from the anemia gumming it up and the lack of iron they are finding it in available big vegetables. useless animal big yeah. useless animal come here you look you never, little, you never see any.
0: Yeah, you never rug. see any lean bears do you it'd be good, good you know.
2: well it depends they, where you are so there's certain parts of Antarctica now I'll where be, they're a bit skinnier
1: shave them Shaped shaved
2: them. I reckon they are chiseled underneath there. I think they are really chiseled. Bears are, <laughs> they, bears are real strong. They're
1: like seven foot two, just
2: walking yeah. around. After I'm like, sure they, they when they're getting the hind get legs, it gets crazy, man. Like even a, a bear scratch. I'm, I'm sure just, there's no what,
0: peck. There's no definition on those muscles. No, it's not yeah, like, like oh, kangaroos. Oh, kangaroos now yeah. they, kangaroos, yeah, they're, they're toned.
2: They're, kangaroos yeah. and gorillas—they are—they t- are—they're winning Sh- all the body oh, species body
0: contest. Sorry, you're <laughs> telling me we, if we shave a kangaroo, you'd put a picture of him up on the fucking wall? as that's what? Have you not seen
1: the picture of that lean, like really a very lean kangaroo. <laughs> lean kangaroo? We will that's have to share.
2: We will have to share this another time. But then there's also that turtle that there's that turtle that restarted his species because he had sex with like 43 other turtles women. And he restarted nice. his entire species. So you Good have to choose him. what kind of strength you want as an alpha <laughs> in this world. Oh, I, that's oh, a I legendary haven't. story to yeah. carry down the generation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he oh, walks into a bar every single time and he's just like, oh, well, oh no, deja vu. <laughs> You're all
1: my children. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane,
2: as the format of this show uh, tends to dictate. Absolutely. As our very esteemed guest, Travis, we invite you to ask the first question any question you would like, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes and some change. Then Howard has a question for you and I that he'd like to ask and we'd like to discuss. And then okay. finally, I, like, I have a question I'd like to pose to you, which I hope is never too probing or offensive, which I'd like to discuss for 15 minutes as well. Uh, and once we're done, uh, I'd like the good people listening to the podcast to find out where they can find out about all of your good works, past, present, and future. How does that sound, bro?
1: Sounds great. Sounds
2: great. All right. Well, the floor is yours to ask our first
1: question. Okay. So my question is. Is free will real or is it just an illusion?
0: It's one of, it's just like, I mean, that question is just brilliant. And I have to ask, what inspired it,
1: Travis? Do you know what? I, I think about these things like, I think about random questions like, for example, nature versus nurture. I just tend to be on that type of wave. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think what's pushed me on that type of introspective vibe is growing up with my mum as a stand-up comic, me getting into stand-up comedy, I've always... Trying to challenge, like, was this like in my blood, or is it just because of my environment? Hmm. So you start to look at things like free will and you start thinking, there are definitely other forces at play with how we see the world, how we integrate in society and all these type of things. So it's like, I don't know how to how to kind of put this into words, but sometimes you do feel like, well, was that an independent thought of mine, or was this just like a processed environment I'm just in an echo chamber of?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've question. got so many things to say, as I'm sure Dane has about this. Uh, go,
2: go ahead, Howard. Let your will I
1: can't be- help
0: but think about the the thing that I think about a lot at the moment, Dane, which is Adam Curtis films. I seem to be yeah. bringing up Adam Curtis films a lot. I don't know if you list, you watch them, do you, Travis? Uh, no, this- I don't, no.
2: Uh, really good. He does a lot of documentaries on BBC. Like One, one of his big uh, documentaries is uh, Hyper Normalisation. Okay, um, okay, but yeah, but it's just he it, it does a really amazing like anthology retrospective of like uh, the media's presence in like social political changes and stuff like that, yeah. and how it, and how it does, and like I said, how it influences will, and if will is a function of suggestion, like you said, just mm. the, the you know the result he's of like the echo the,
0: chamber. He, he's like the radio head of documentaries. He's like this kind of philosophical artistic okay. guy. And Travis, when you when you happen to watch one of them, I, I'd like you to text me to tell me. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> tell me thank you for bringing it to my attention. But the thing about what he talks about is. is is that we are being conditioned. Um, Now, I I would look at my 14-month-old child Mm. and tell you that this week... uh, And by the way, there's a listener who keeps taking the piss out of me for bringing up my kid... What do you want me to do? Uh, <laughs> he's fucking here every day. He's fucking every day. here every day. So then, what do you want me to do? I've got to talk about him. I don't know what you do. <laughs> Imagine, Imagine you're every he's bad
1: about that? <laughs> his brother is always loving his son, bro. It's like it's unconditional. Every day. But this week. What he... about the cat,
2: bro? Remember the cat, remember the cat days, bro? When Howard had no children, bro? He's changed, you know, bro. But
0: the, 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 the guy was sick last week for his, his first time he was sick. He got like a, a throat thing and he's got teething and he got fucked off at that and he was very miserable. Mm-hmm. And then after he's come out of that week, he's he's evolved a little bit. It's quite interesting. He had a you know, the week of sitting there being miserable and he's come out and now he's like testing his boundaries. And it's kind of very interesting to see that, you know, when I say to him, come here, he looks at me and kind of smiles because he knows mm-hmm. that if he doesn't come here, he's pushing. So that is the definition of nature in my, in my, he's developing, you know, he's growing. And, and, and I think that as in like testing your boundaries, like how often do you feel (laughs) you two are comedians. So you're constantly testing your boundaries. But I think most people are just set within very clear boundaries at the moment, Dane. And, and, Mm. and I don't think, I don't see much thinking outside the box. (laughs) They're not
2: allowed to. True. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's a really good question because I guess it's what you define as the will. Um, and, and what and what forms that because um, I might be mistaken I can't think of your will being a part of something that's tangible but then at the same time people maybe I mean most people depending on what school of thought you come from I guess philosophically your will could be like you know your sentient, your sentience your sentience and your consciousness that drives you to you know do stuff which may be either guided by your instinct mm-hmm. uh, or I guess you have your uh, <clears throat> psychosexual explanation with Freud where it's like you have your your uh, id which drives your uh, need for gratification and then the ego and the super ego which might drive your need as a social species to be validated um i mean this is but yeah so i say all that to say this man with, the, with a will i feel like it's maybe something that's similar to having a conscience But i speak the conscience from a moral perspective is that yeah. it's how much people are willing to engage it mm-hmm. so for example i think you know whether it's would And I might be falsely describing instincts, but I guess we all have the will to live, right? Mm. Or you're born mm. with the will to live. And then depending on your environment, your experiences, they say nurture, nature versus nurture, your survival instinct will uh, be... Ev- and I guess your determination to survive will be strengthened based on your experiences. Um, so, but at the same time, <clears throat> obviously that comes with a lot of personal responsibility. And I feel like people... We live in a world where as a social species, we've kind of confused that interaction for uh, delegation. And a lot of the time, I think people have will, but we, as a society, have created a lot of institutions that alleviate people of having to kind of pay attention to it. If that makes right, sense. I get, yeah, I so, get. so as in like, when you, I hear people, for example, talk about like immigrants um, filling up hospital beds or filling up hospitals. And I guess that could stem from, you know, a will to live, which itself could be the catalyst for that could be the fear of not being it. But then really, I think, shouldn't your strongest will to be never to need to go to hospital in the first place? Interesting. Very so, interesting. As in, as in, like, surely the achievement would be through nutrition or, you know, self-care that you wouldn't need to require a hospital, especially because when you think about it, doctors in many cases have a lower life expectancy than an average person of the same socioeconomic economic group, mm. then we give over power to this institution or to people who are supposed to trust us with um, tell it, We trust to tell us how to maintain our well being, so we can, you know, live longer and help us with our will to live. But by the same token, it's like, surely, if we by the same token, you would probably observe a healthier lifestyle and not want to be in a position in the first place. So,
1: <clears throat> you know, what I find fascinating, right? So let's, let's look at this this free will conversation because let's say some, a kid grows up in whatever area, wants to be a football player. Uh-huh. He, you know, believes this is his passion. I could argue you've watched football, you've seen success. You know, I know growing up, I looked at Ian Wright and I saw, whoa, this is a young black football player. And, you know, you don't often see celebrities like young black celebrities in other kind of other than music. So uh-huh. growing up being young black, I wanted to play football. A lot of my friends wanted to rap. Uh-huh. This is feels like a very doctored echo chamber. But then you look at someone, say, for example, a very extreme example here, a serial killer from a family of a loving family. He Uh just wants to kill. Do you say that guy has free will? I mean, yeah, that's a good question. Do you know what it is? I think it's, again,
2: and also make it more complicated, it's because of what you, you consider to be will. Because I guess will for me would be then the energy that is used to drive Instinct, or to drive, uh, or use the drive for the achievement for your achievements. That's the fuel for your drive. So, in those two examples you used, I would say maybe the will is for people to try and transcend their situation or their environment,
1: mm. and
2: maybe in this case, football was the vehicle by which you achieved that. So, i'm uh, using that unique example because we grew up in the same area. If uh, listeners don't know, drives and I grew up in Southeast London, mm-hmm. and um, so as career paths to observe a certain level of opulence and. Um, social mobility, most of the people we would see would be entertainers or athletes. Ian Wright being a great example of that. So I guess most people are like, I want to be able to transcend my situation without losing a part of myself. So when I look at something that seems to represent that the most, I project onto it. So I guess my will is to try and emulate that excess. So people might follow that same path. And I think, so then that's your, that paradigm of achievement, I want to do what Ian Wright did. But I guess what makes that happen is your own will Caution you to, to kind of satisfy the same thing. Mm. But at no, no, the no, same no. token, the serial killer example is interesting as well. Whereas, like a lot of the time, and some psychologists have the proof of that is that it's typical of a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of serial killers come from families where love and affection, and even forming those centers of the brain, which are you know mm. generate your release of endorphins or dopamine when you experience like care or nurturing from somebody else, they don't develop that. So they're not able to mm. develop empathy in the first place. Mm. That, that That's kind of the mind state that might be, comes towards forming their, so, and I'm not saying this affects will. So what I'm saying is, so they have a mindset where, you know, I, and then, um, a lot of times victims of trauma tend to try and recreate the same aesthetic, but when they're in a position of control. Mm. So the example of that would be like some people, where, so like the whole thing with R. Kelly is that like, he dressed even some of the young girls, as like uh, to make them look a bit more non-binary or look more like some of the women that he was abusing, he made them look more like young boys. And this is based on this idea that he was himself was sexually abused when he was younger. And that sometimes is a common uh, behavior of people of intimate trauma. It's recreating something that's very similar, but then being in controlled in the same way that they say hurt people, hurt people. Like bullies are normally bullied at home yeah, themselves. Yeah. But so, w- so the, I think everyone can kind of have that mentality, but it's about your will, whether or not you're going to allow that to push you to do those kind of things. And so the other thing I'm saying is that in the great example you had, um sure you said about someone coming from a good family and still choosing to kill people, because that's what they say about Jeffrey Dahmer, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he came from a good household. But I guess what we are quantifying as good may be due to the fact that, as Howard said, the boundaries that he may or should have had from coming from an affluent home, hmm. he didn't have them. So, for example, being the fact that he was a well on the outside a affluent white man, you know the fear of 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 retribution or the fear of consequence for his actions is not going to be the same that you and I would have. Uh, yeah, of course. So, so the aesthetic for him, his will to be able to be kind of carried out is very different. Mm. It's very different, and um, I'd,
0: I'd go as far yeah. to say there isn't there isn't free will. And I'll tell you the reason there isn't free will, apart from uh, for children who have no knowledge of society, right? We're putting them to one side. The reason we don't have free will is because we have a belief in one very simple thing and we all have it and it's called story. Story dominates our narratives as people. We are all consumed by our own story, or the stories of those around us. Like Ian Wright, you just blew up. It was a story, yeah. right? It was this incredible story. Do you remember when Ian Wright was hosting his own fucking Friday night show? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What a fucking story. This guy almost didn't play football, right? And suddenly he's on his own show and his own single in the charts on Top of the Pops, right? It's a story. We are all, we are all obsessed by following the story, and, and unfortunately, there are only so many paths that that story can take. So we'll see a story like a this Britney Spears story, right? It feels a little bit different, but we've definitely heard this story before. Like, with yeah. there's some similar exploitation of famous children, ultimately, that's happened many times before. So I feel, uh, uh, in a kind of slightly cynical TV producer way, that all our world is so dominated by story uh, and the same stories that we don't have free will because we're generally just following the paths of the stories that play out.
2: But then, Howard, I, got, I, got, I, got, I, have, I have a rebuttal for that because you said stories are a big part of us chronically in our humanity is why we kind of try to be guided, uh, we're guided largely by suggestions, especially like from you know predecessors or ancestors or just um, cultural norms and etiquette that's passed down to us. But here's my trump card here, yeah? chattel slavery. Because that sure. would have taken place under the uh, <clears throat> under the preface or, preface or under the premise that African people don't have souls or will and they're just guided by instinct and they're essentially three fifths of human being and thus beasts of burden. Obviously, we've put, life has shown that this is not the case. Correct. Um, yes. And I guess if the entirety of your upbringing and life was suggested was based on the suggestion that you don't have a humanity. Something esoteric must have had to come from these people for them to uh, be aware of their humanity and reclaim it, and obviously mm. challenge the selection that they don't have, you know, a mind or a soul. So, mm. what would have been the, what would have been the catalyst for that? I think again, you could argue human beings are social species. I think you know people that were chattel slaves could have been taking visual and audio clues from whatever they were seeing, which would have made them aware of their humanity. I mean.
1: There was a then lot of techniques also, that were used. Yeah, go ahead. You Tom. also have the um, the exceptions against the rule, as in like you have slaves and this this is going on. But then you also have the one or two here and there that are sprinkled out that aren't subjected to that same treatment, and mm-hmm. they are you know black and around that time mm-hmm. and might even have wealth. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. in small pockets of society, and you know these little gems of you know experiences yeah. spread, and it becomes a a story that passes around and mm. probably inspires hope amongst that demographic do you see what i mean so then it's like now that now there's a vision of what this could look like what this life could be like Mm. and it can just spread
2: but uh, yeah but then and that's the thing could that be the catalyst for free will if it's if it's not a um if it's not a uh, a tangible thing because again it's like if will is free i mean doesn't mean it's not subject to suggestion or manipulation Mm. it's just it's just I i think it's just down to like people's understanding of it and their level of introspection and how much they want to put towards it. Um, yeah. So I think... I think uh, great will, question, I must like, say. Like, what a yeah, question. great question. Oh, I, th- cheers, I, guys. Think, I think a will <laughs> like a conscience, I think there is such a thing as free will, but it's it's if people are willing to exercise that freedom. Yeah.
1: That's
2: yeah. Yeah. Nice. I think that's a, good, I, I that's think right that's a good... That's a really good question. Nice really good question. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a really good
0: question. That's <laughs> a really yeah. good question. I <don't> know what, <laughs> and, 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 and I actually like how philosophical that one is because we, we often... Uh, we often talk about very um, uh, current issues, right, Dane? But that, that kind of taps into current stuff, but also.
2: Oh, it's, a, uh, it's timelessness, isn't it? Yeah. Timeless. Mm-hmm. Time, uh, a
0: timeless yeah. question from Travis Day, it. everyone. Come on. Come on. Saying, being
2: being asked <laughs> since Aristotle and all of that. So, way okay. <laughs> well, further reviews. back. Yeah, this is it. And further back to the mystery schools that they went to in Egypt. So, you mm.
0: know. <laughs> so, uh, my question this week is a bit different. Travis don't you know we don't know each other that well um, but you know I'm just going to kind of pose my question in a particular way and I think you you, you, you know knowing you as I do I think you'll you accept it which is do, do you want a fucking slap mate <laughs> um, <do you> wanna, <laughs> and I ask you that I ask you that to ask you this because you, you do a boxing you do a boxing we well, do a boxing podcast that's right, right mate yeah. Yeah, yeah so you do a boxing so that's my way of asking you what is it like being punched? Because unbelievably, listeners, nobody has ever punched me in the face. Oh my as, gosh. As unbelievable as that is that I've made it to this ripe old age in my late 30s. Touch nobody... wood.
1: Oh, wait, is this due to great head movement and or just not fighting? It
0: is remarkable to think nobody has swung for me, right?
2: It is remarkable. <laughs> but I, I don't know, Howard. I still I think you have the power to diffuse that. I think you're someone who hmm. probably learned because you've got like loads of older brothers. You could anticipate a uh, Someone punch you in the face, so you can kind of you sense yeah. the energy. In yeah, the room. You can sense the energy. Not everyone's like that, Howard. Howard, you're not really. You know, actually you know you're not really an ego person, Howard.
0: No, but I, so. I guess the scenario is when I've I, if I was just going to can, you know if I could could think of a couple of examples of, of of times where I've been like, oh shit, I'm about to get into serious trouble here with my words. Um, <laughs> let me quickly find a way to use them to get out of this Um, (laughs) and that's why that's why listeners listeners, if you ever encounter me in real life and I do something wrong you will notice how incredibly quickly I say sorry I am so good at apologizing you know how hard Mm. it is
1: to punch someone or be like a physical someone who's apologizing (laughs) oh you yeah exactly you have to hate yeah, that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, as much
0: lot. as as much as one tenth of the population of this world do seem to quite dislike me, I do believe that I have not <laughs> been punched in the face. So I wanted to ask if you know, and obviously you you kind of spend quite a lot of time talking about people being punched in the face, Travis. Yeah. Like, have you have you been punched in the face before? Yeah, what? I've
1: boxed, but I like I've been boxing for like say, yeah, what, nine, ten years. So yeah. like I've been hit in the face a fair, fair few times. <laughs> and it's 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 a weird feeling it's a weird thing to describe because how i talk about it now is like it's a white light it literally is just yeah, a white yeah, light yeah. Do you know what i mean mid-sparring yeah. you boom flash flash and you know you're getting hit the pain tends to arrive later but yeah. that's because you're in the you're you're hyped up adrenaline's going on you don't really feel pain in that moment but if you are like chilling out and someone just hits you that pain is instant <laughs> Like,
2: you know, you, you know this, like, one of the sad things is about punching a punch in the face here is that you grow up you're watching films and it sounds like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's like watching people, it's like listening to people play jazz, like in another room. When you hear the sound of bone licking the skin in real oh, life, just, it sounds more like, yeah, it's oh, disgusting, disgusting, it's
1: disgusting. It's not nice, man, <laughs> yeah, not nice. If you, you know can continue. Happens for the rest of your life and not get hit in the face, I'd definitely advise it. Yeah, yeah I reckon my child I to...
0: reckon my child will punch me in the face at some point, but um, not for a while.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, as all Mike Clasmin saying it, Mike Clasmin said that everyone's got a game plan to they get punched in the face. There you go. And I think there's, it's such a, is never a truer word spoken. Um,
1: and also, I'm just thinking just, you know, just for your safety, it's like, if this is the first <laughs> time you're being exposed to that type of pain, it's probably the <laughs> Like getting getting chicken
2: pox in your old (laughs) age. you're young Howard your go, around, uh, go to a
1: party with other kids when they've all got it <laughs> your skull is not prepared for that
0: today <laughs> uh, oh and I've got the glasses as well I've got the glasses no, not in it these always... corona
2: times Howard it's, <laughs> it's because
0: of my like it's because of my glasses that I've never been punched in the face is, I've, 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 I probably haven't said that that what often what do you think look I at
1: Travis yeah exactly <laughs> did it help Travis <laughs> these glasses are probably the reason why I got into some of those scraps <laughs> yes, exactly
0: <laughs>
2: Oh man, it's.
1: What
0: it's, about uh, you,
2: Dane? You ever been. Ever, someone ever give you a i I've been, been punching the face, but there's, but I, there's also t- ways you can get punched in the face as well. Because you can get. I've been like punched in my cheek, and I've been punched like on the side of my face, and I think I've been hitting the forehead. But then mm-hmm. there's when someone. When I did karate, for example, that's when I've taken like punches to the face.
1: Mm.
2: Because the idea is that they're supposed to strike you without drawing blood.
1: Yeah.
2: Whereas right. when you get hit with like a hook or like to your face. Mm-hmm. Which I've also had. It's a very different type of punch. Because, yep. like I said, there's that, punch, there's, that, there's that punch, but there's also that, which oh. is like your nose. Yeah. Like, ah,
1: yeah, yeah. oh, that's also when someone hits that sinus cavity. Oh man. Thing is, what you want to avoid, right? Like, say, when I first got into boxing, one thing they don't ever tell you about is when you get hit in the nose and your eyes—it's like, or oh, you get hit yeah. in the eye and yeah, your yeah. eyes water. Yeah. For those few seconds, you are blind in that. Yeah, eye. Basically, like, you yeah. Basically, you're blind. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah, they hit like, your nose as well. You're blind for for temporarily. It's, it's, it's it. the worst. But just my advice, Howard. Should a situation mm. get you know out of control, and you think, okay, now is going to be my day, don't let anyone hit you on the chin, especially the side of chin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's the spark. Sleep.
2: Really, Like you yeah. are
1: out. Yeah. Have okay, you had that, have it. you
0: had that, Travis? Have you had that?
1: I have had that, but I wasn't out. I went down. Went like, down. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. 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 I went down. It's like yeah, that yeah, yeah. momentarily the lights go off in the building.
2: Yeah, you'll, <laughs> like, you'll stumble. I. I that's when I, I. Someone tapped my jaw when I was at university and. Luckily, because he was not that experienced in punching, what happens with most people is that they misjudge the swing. So he grazed my chin rather than hitting it. But I still stumbled back because what happens is, if you your chin, held, what happens is that your brain shakes in your skull. That's right. So to protect
1: you, it's like, no. Nope. Yeah, that's it. It shuts down.
2: Yeah, it shuts <laughs> it down. So I, he think
1: goes, they, nope. I think I saw somebody like a trauma expert explain it. I don't even know if they were true or if this was like a spoof video, but they basically said when you get hit on the corner of your jaw like that and it spins, sometimes your brain stays forward just for that moment and that disconnect whilst it gets back it's like
2: yeah, you know what that's why you get a lot of boxers are still standing there and like, no I'm fine and the referee's like yeah. you're not fine <laughs> <laughs> their legs are moving yeah their legs are moving I've heard it I remember watching um, even watching uh, I was watching K1 as well there's a fighter called Kung Lee who's like he used to kind of do pre-mixed martial arts mm-hmm. and I remember he did what's called reaping which is when you sweeps sweep someone but you're throwing them down at the same time Yeah, the guy gets up Yeah, and the referee looks at him and goes yeah now you're done he's like what do you mean I'm done what's what's going on here what's, I'm still ready, it turned around. There's a dent in his temple. I was like, oh. you are done, <laughs> you're, you're finished. Oh, the referee was bro. like, You are done out here, bro. And like, when the adrenaline
1: cools off, that's gonna kill me. Oh bro. man,
2: you know, the worst thing is when you get bruised or if someone sings in your as well, it's like, So you're, you swell, so that's supposed to stop the infection and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's the histamine. So people that don't know, that's why you swell up. And then once that starts to go down. Once the sweating starts to go down, disgusting. They start real pain. Uh, disgusting. And I you, you know, you see someone punching their eye as well. If they get good in the eye, I saw a kid get punched in the face when I was at karate, and he got good like the. Almost oh, yeah. as if his the, the orbit of his skull caught the fist. Oh, that, you know the one when it's like purple up above, above yeah, and below yeah. the eye, yeah. and then when that clears up, the eye is
1: still bloodshot for yeah. for
2: like a month it's afterwards. Disgusting.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, Disgusting, yeah. man. Ah. I remember when I invited my brother to come and watch me spar, right? Because I was I was dominating guys. Like the, the two sessions before that, I was get I was getting busy. So I was like, you know what? Let me bring my little brother to come see this. So in there, we're sparring. I'm sparring this dude who I'm way better than. So I'm flexing. I'm flicking the jab. I'm, I'm mimicking all my favorite fighters. I'm enjoying myself. The next dude, I didn't think I was going to spar again after that. And then my trainer's like, you know what? Let's switch this guy out for this guy. This guy gets in there. Now he's hyped up because he's just been watching me just have my way. I'm still in like laid back <clears throat> mode, like trying to flash and show up for my brother. This dude hit me with the overhand right on the button. Now, the thing is, when you're taking a shot, you don't ever want to lean back. Because uh-huh. once you lean back and you take the shot, there's nowhere for you to go. You just absorb all of the shot. Rough, I leaned back. I ate that shot. I fell down. And if you man fingers, the way I fell down, I fell down and my legs came up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> my back legs go up and then my legs slam back down it was oh
2: uh, man but well, face first
1: no like on my back on my back on my back oh, my back? oh, oh yeah legs, yeah. Went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <The> legs <laughs> went up legs went up crazy
2: bro ah. that's alright man trying to get that blood back to your head <laughs> <laughs> when you
0: when you hit someone though because I've never really hit anyone really yeah. I think I hit John Fells in the middle of a football match in in PE because he was just ruining the game. And I hit him on the back of the head.
2: So you could have... Uh, so that's manslaughter so Howard. Dangerous. That's even worse <laughs> than a face. It
0: was rubbish. I didn't even really... I just You're kind not of allowed sp-
2: to do it in boxing. <laughs> all right, Howard, a, just, what's he doing now
0: with his life? I uh, imagine he he's awful? got a family and stuff. You know, he's probably all right. You know, he's fine. Probably yeah. all right. If you can so remember... My question, gonna be, you, my, pre- <laughs> my question is going to be... Free the kids. My question is going to be, do you, do you like... You obviously don't like being hit. Do you like hitting the, the the other people, Travis? Do you know what
1: in in the the, the boxing space? I'm gonna say 100 percent Yeah, like anyone up, like all the trainers I've trained, they all kind of say have said the same thing. It's like yeah, you've got a bit of spite about you, where it's like if I've hit you and I know I've hurt you. I come alive like it just goes <laughs>
0: you know
1: what I, mean? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but I,
2: th- I think anybody who knows knows <laughs> yeah. those who know that uh, know. Huh. Uh, you, you might be embarrassed St. Edmunds now but you're definitely from <laughs> Southeast London <laughs> yeah. service when I bang a man in his face and I see the pain in his eyes that's me that's my space oh, there what <laughs> that's when I know I'm going to be in his nightmares and that I'm makes me bang. happy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When a man looks over for his family, that's when I, <laughs> I love mine more.
1: <laughs> because I had a fight here yeah, and I, it was, I put it on YouTube. And the maddest thing is the first round of this fight, like I had a bit of success and then he had a moment, right? He got me up against the ropes and he slipped. he's throwing shots and I'm slipping them. But then I tried to lean on the ropes and one of the middle ropes was loose. So I tried to kind of rest on it way too much and I just had to go down. So the referee counted it as a count so I'm walking back to my corner and it's just like, right, it looks like I've fully lost that round. Second round, I come out and I knock this guy out. And if you see the way I celebrate, bro, you think I was there by myself. No trainer, no family. Because my trainer comes to give me a hug. And I'm like, nah, bro. I'm <laughs> jumping on the corner. Move. Girl, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> I
2: mean, I remember uh, well, well. I remember a
0: friend Conan, of mine. Conor
1: McGregor
2: of comedy, Travis J. I <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had a friend of mine who... Um, who so I had a, you know, a group of friends from school, and then you know you meet some friends through that friend, right? All those friends, yeah. and so this was a friend of a friend. But I like I spent a bit, fair bit of time with the guy. We saw him in the street, you'd say hello, right? And um, anyway, I remember many years ago now that he'd, he you know decided to give you know just take up a boxing career, and he, you know, he was apparently really good. Perfect. And so like we went to um, that place that's near—is it Bethnal Green Your or? Call. York Hall. Yeah. Famous for boxing, right? Yeah, uh, went for his first fight. We went to watch him. It's me and it's a uh, guy called Alex, his friend of mine, a guy called Stu. Like all these boys that I grew up with, right? Yeah. Crisp, this guy Chris was there. It was a real, you know, it was a, it was a big old uh, crew of people. And this guy, and I'm not going to name him because I don't want to, you know, make yeah, it in yeah, case yeah. It, it. You know, we were obviously cheering him on and, and he goes into the ring and, 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 the, and, he, and they stopped the fight in 30 seconds. Does he win oh, oh, or gets? no 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 oh. the, the opposite oh. yeah. and I just remember and it was i can't, I can't, to be honest with you because it happened so quickly I can't even really remember what happened other than obviously it didn't go well. yeah, uh, that that much I know and 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 I it, it stuck with me to think there's such pride in in what goes on in that world, mm-hmm. you know and and obviously you watch a you watch a, you watch a fight on the street. I would not think the word pride is the th- first thing that comes to mind i I often think
2: dickheads. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but, but no, Travis is, thinks. Travis just thinks this. <laughs> these men are just doing haymakers all the time, bro. Where is the guard, bro? Where is the body shots? Men's uh, solar plexus is wide open. <laughs> what's the game plan right yeah, now? What's the bro? game plan? Who's the southpaw here? Who's orthodox? I can't tell anything. These are, these are, these are savages.
0: <laughs> but the, uh, the, the pride that, that, that there is in, in, in going into a ring, it must be. Intense as fuck. I, like me and Dane, occasionally talk about we play. You know, I've played a lot of football in my life. Yeah. you get you get really into it, right? You get really into it, but you're not you're not at the same level that you're talking about with, with that's right. like boxing.
1: No, I mean, I, I've described it as like the most like adrenaline rush thing I've ever experienced. Like, it's it's nothing like stand up. At the, I don't care how big the crowd is. When you walk into it's like the minute you get into the ring for starters, it's way warmer than it is anywhere else in that whole space. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to describe, but the lights, the heat yeah, of the lights, yeah, yeah. something else. You get in there and it's just like, you do know you could die in here, right? <laughs> and you you sign that waiver form, right? It literally says, if you die here today, there are not so many words. If you die today, we're not liable. So you sign that shit, knowing that you believe that you're going to be all right. It is the most insane experience to now be fighting someone. And like, I could die and nobody's going to have to like pay mean- for this Travis,
0: like, you know what you're saying is, and my mum's randomly just texted me to say, Are you okay? And not knowing that we're talking about this now, but you You, know what? And you wonder why she knows. You wonder why you've never been punched in the face. It's got
2: nothing to do with you, Howard. There is an angel of a woman, there is an angel of a woman who loves you, who would die first before she lets someone lay a hand on her baby. (laughs) <laughs> she heard it, so, it in the ether someone was so old time. she heard so it in the ether somebody <laughs> is troubling she was like Howard is in danger <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck is going near Howie Bear
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: with this violence it's
0: incredible what an incredible moment she's like
2: I named you after a cartoon duck what's going on here man he's <laughs> relaxed no, I, I d- the thing about I mean just the the psychology that comes with being with boxing and stuff like that as well. There's, mm. there's something there's something very there's something very very intimate about it because so when I'm, there's something intimate about it whereby if you can be punched in the face and I think there's just a rush of it. You know, you talk about free will. Mm. I think your will is definitely tested if you're punched in the face. One hundred percent. Because then it's like your will to survive, your will to yeah, fight, that's or your right. will to carry on. So
1: to keep going, yeah. Then it's you true. become
2: a, you become aware of how strong yours result you know, or how because um. Obviously, after you punch someone in the face a lot of the time, they they embrace afterwards. That's you what know? I was about to say. Embrace, even, even when you, you're in school, like you have some beef with somebody and it's like yeah. you, you have a fight and then after that, like, you're probably cool
1: afterwards. You walk on together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because it's a weird bond that happens with someone that you fight. I never thought I'd mm. ever experienced it. And like after the fights, you just want to hug them. It's such mm. a weird thing because it's mm. like I get myself psyched up to a place where I'm like, I hate you. You're responsible for anything that's wrong, wrong in my life. And then afterwards, it's like a quick wave of like, "Bro, we've just put each other through our paces just now," and right.
0: gives me a different perspective on the film Fight Club.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, it's a th- it's a thin line between love and hate, and I guess if you if hatred being that strong feeling you feel, there, like I said, there is no ex- more extreme disposition you'll be in as a human being other than in a ring, that's literally right. fighting for your life. That's right. And mm-hmm. so once you are met, and you, and that's from the fear of losing, the fear of harm, and so you're, this is like at yeah. the maximum of your ego. Mm-hmm. So if you think about your ego clashing with somebody else's, once you've
1: had broken those that. two
2: project- broken that, all that's left is the human, in it? So that's why it's like, I've faced the brink of this person's humanity and defences, isn't it? Once we're both through it, what else is there left by humanity? That's probably why people feel the will to embrace because it's that's like, right. the, 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 I've experienced, I'm now going to give the balance to experiencing the other extreme of humanity, that fight mm. for survival. And now it's like, it's, nothing can make me more conscious of the fact that you are another human being because I saw you, Display the same instinct and will to live, and so, that's right. yeah, that's yeah. where that intimacy comes from, I guess. So that could yeah. be a great way of nothing. Nothing well, makes you feel more human than getting boxed in the face, I guess.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, I've definitely learned. I've definitely learned something here today, Dane, uh, about that. So that's uh, educational for me. The keep hands your, uh, as yeah, well. yeah, keep your hands so what up, Howard.
2: Yeah, keep your hands up, Howard. And, <laughs> and do like I said, don't. Don't. I don't recommend it. Just yeah. It's <laughs>
0: interesting, though. I would actually say having a kid. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that I have a kid. No, no that you listener, haven't. Yeah, that, kid, that, kid, that kid, that fucking listener gets pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> one one guy. Oh, tell your mum
2: what this fool said, bro.
1: Tell your mum what he said.
2: Tell
0: your mum what he said. I feel protective over the kid, yeah. right? So that's kind of an interesting thing. But I don't just,
1: know. Just to go, just to piggyback on that, that's fire boxing when I had my daughter. Ah. So there's definitely a link there
0: yeah yeah definitely well energy. um it, uh, i've yeah i've loved talking about that and i'm gonna gonna swing it over to dane with a we've not a, not a fist just a just to swing over to
2: dane for his question um it was a, it was a good swing though howard yeah nice Cheers, swing there. good form yeah, yeah. good thanks form mate, you got potential yeah. um thanks mate so uh for travis i think you have a very nuanced experience as a comedian which i don't think a lot of our peers have in this country in that you uh have legacy and almost and like uh, heritage, yeah. Yeah, in that you know, I think uh, unlike a lot of our um contemporaries, you come from a creative family, yeah. So, you yeah, have people that, know that uh, so Travis' dad is a musician, his mother is a very successful comedian, writer, actress, playwright, uh, by the name of angela Marr, who surprisingly hasn't been on this podcast yet, but appeared alongside myself and Travis in the do- documentary Black British and Funny, which is produced uh, by uh, mo Gilligan. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. But um, the reason I, my question is basically on the fact that, like, obviously, I on, in retrospect, when I reflect on my career, like, even as when I was like seven, eight, nine, I knew I wanted to do comedy. Mm. What I didn't know was how you went about doing it. I think I like I liked being funny. And I liked performing. When I was fifteen, I saw Leo Muhammad and, and Russell Peters and DL Hughley at the Catford Broadway Theatre. Then I heard Chris Rock and Blacker, and that's when I was like, this is what I want to do. But again, yeah. I had no idea how to pursue that, and. Because, and I, it was at that age there were very little, if no, references on how to do that other than like Will right. McCoy. And even then, I was like, well, they must be people that are alumni that have gone to all the best schools and stuff. And this is how they have fallen into this work. There's, there was never a trajectory that I saw that was clear um, up until I started doing comedy and working out how that process was. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure, and I, I imagine that would be very different for you because you saw that being worked out and the idea of comedy being a viable career seems like it was uh, would have made much more sense to you. And I, and I feel like one of the things I do with my work is try to provide that same legacy for future generations of comics and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question was really just... Um, I think it's rare that a lot of black creatives in this country in particular have that legacy as well. So I want to find out for you, what was it like actually coming from a family of professional entertainers as a black
1: British person? Black um, British. Yeah, man, I've... You know what's funny is my relationship to the black circuit I've, I've it's one of ones where I I've, I've always felt like it might be different to yeah. other comics on the same circuit because for me it feels almost like a family business and I don't mean that in the fact that it's mine and I was handed the circuit and you guys are on my circuit it's not that type of thing but when my mom talks about the beginning Like, Mm -hmm. her reference points, and I'm like, I've got names (laughs) and places when she talks about how there was no circuit. It was the fact that they weren't given the same opportunities on the mainstream space. Mm -hmm. So they decided that they were going to do shows somewhere else to their own kind of audience. And this started off, like, in nightclubs, interrupting raves and all those kind of things. And you hear the stories and you think to yourself, like, well, look at where we are now. We're, We're attached to this journey. So that's kind of why I've always kind of drifted away from some comics who and you know, I'm not gonna get into the like the names or any specific references, but almost like going mainstream feels like you know, oh now I'm doing it for real. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As if mm-hmm. the black circuit is literally like, you know, rubbish or what that type of thing. Yeah, f- yeah, yeah. That feels like very <laughs> personal when I hear that. No, I feel you. I, agree.
2: I agree with it as well, man. I definitely agree with yeah. it. Yeah.
1: There's a lot yeah. of comics who develop all the skills that they have and they take into the career and go mainstream. You know, I'd say I'm somebody who I've gone mainstream to a degree. Do you know what I mean obviously not oh. at higher heights, but those are the circuits that I operate on now, probably more so than. The I'm, black so, I'm sorry
2: to cut you. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we both know Darren Watson. So yes. Darren Watson was one of the people I would say was very responsible for a large renaissance in good like black comedy shows. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely helped me when I first started out. So Big shout time. out Darren. Big time. One thing he said that I found was very interesting because he spoke about the same phenomenon of like comedians feel that they are uh, transferring to what they call the mainstream, mm. which is more lucrative and actually constitutes to more validation and recognition. But he said, really, even amongst predominantly white rooms and white comics, there's only a select few of them who are regular mainstays on panel shows. That's there's right. only a few of them that are doing the arenas. So that's, right. that's not even mainstream. You might be playing a predominantly white circuit and that's by real. the merit of living in a majority white country, mm. but really and truly, like even white comics will tell you that like the money doesn't necessarily mean it been that, that amazing and it's not really the position whereby just doing this circuit means you'll be predisposed to success. So yeah, yeah.
1: I I definitely agree with you on that one, man. I definitely agree. It's real. Yeah. It's real. And I think what was interesting is like starting stand-up because I never looked at stand-up as something I wanted to do. But, Mm. you know, looking back, it was always around me. Mm. So like I'd seen Bill Bellamy live probably about 12 years old. I'd seen pure shows of my mum's because, you know, Mm. when it's the theatre and it's that you just can be backstage and nobody checking your age and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I just had access to comedy all the time. So, like, um, growing up, I I wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted to play basketball. But I'd watch comedy to relax myself, to prepare for matches. Mm. So when I look back, comedy was always this fixture in my world. Mm-hmm. It was only when I gave up on the dream at 21 years old and I was just like, right, if I was going to make it to the league, somebody would have known me by now or like contacted me to- I mean, Travis, that's not very Ian,
2: <laughs> that's not very Ian right
1: of you. You know that he's going to get discovered cover <laughs> yeah, till yeah. 25, but... I, I know, hear like, that, bro, but... It's, worked out, what it's I mean? worked out either way. Yeah, I feel you, I feel you. I was like, I'm not even the best player on my team. Like,
2: I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need to figure something out.
1: There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a, a, a plan B is all. That's all right. That's healthy. I mean, they're yeah, going to take you. all these dudes before me. Yeah. <laughs> that was like I started going out more because like how I played basketball was just like military like every day 6am boom after work boom training so I went to a comedy club and I looked at like it was Cojo's Funhouse and I remember just thinking oh my days and but that feeling of like oh I can do that it uh-huh. was it was real but when I brought it to my mum her response was very much like if you're going to pick up this legacy you best respect it her uh-huh. words were actually don't embarrass me mm. <laughs> so I mean
2: that th- 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 was my parents words as well so th- th- straight. Th- <laughs> yeah straight
1: straight <laughs> So the pressure, like obviously the whispers of Honest Angela, my son, mm. that was on my back quite heavy. And I knew from mm. early I was never going to be able to escape this whole, this legacy that's on my on my name, even yeah. though I don't go by her name.
2: Yeah, yeah. It
1: was just one of those things. I thought, you know, let me respect the legacy and work hard and dedicate myself. And it's, I think because of that responsibility, I almost feel, it makes me go hard all the time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, like absolutely. when you look at the relationship or the legacy and all that stuff, I'm like, I can't disrespect the pioneers by mm. not going hard When I was in the changing rooms With Felix Dexter And Curtis Absolutely. Walker And all yeah, this yeah, man yeah. My mum would go on stage And be like You lot watch Travis mm. So like That's my experience Of the first wave Leo Muhammad These men When I see these guys They're like oh, look how tall you are Look how tall you're getting now You look like your dad Those are the conversations I'm having when I see These guys around So it's very much like I can't come out here And embarrass the circuit Can't embarrass the legacy So it's mm. pressure That I'm used to now But it was heavy very heavy in the beginning well
0: i I think anyone that's seen travis live and if you haven't i recommend it i saw him at edinburgh doing his show uh which he and dane may (laughs) talk about edinburgh in a different way again if we (laughs) often do on this show uh but you're 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 a very natural presence up there as in as in it doesn't feel that you're watching you you know what i mean by that you know sometimes Mm -hmm. you're watching people and you feel they're reading a script you never never felt that way watching you mate but the the kind of that pressure is is fascinating, and the black the black circuit, which we've talked about, God, how many times on this show, Dave, many times. It, I think that that must invite its own pressure,
2: big time. Yeah, I was going to say well, I mean, I would say now for people that are aware, that the what I would say is a key part of what makes social media relevant and current is largely fueled by the uh, the black circuit, or I'd say jokes and sensibilities and aesthetics of the black circuit, like. It's the Black Circuit, which has allowed for somebody like Mo to reach these deserved, very well deserved heights of success. Mm. And that Black Circuit is the same one that, before anyone knew Man's Not Hot, were the people that were booking Michael Dapper to perform live stand up as well.
1: Mm. So,
2: you know, um, I mean, you know, Travis Travis, Travis can verify this as well. Like, obviously, now people are aware that, you know, Dave Chappelle, that's the hottest comedy ticket in town. Yeah. But we remember 2007 when he when no one in this country knew who he was and he'd go Gross. to a, a Cork's Wine Bar in Binney Street because the Black Circuit yep. recognised these people from across the pond very early on in their careers. So um, I once
0: uh, I once did a gig on a Black Circuit, Dane. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you that which before. Which
2: one?
0: Uh, it was in Layton, uh, a, a, a restaurant nice. on a Sunday afternoon. I, I did that comedy mm. for like two years, Travis, just, cause, okay. just to prove, prove that I could. Yeah. When, I, when I got booked for the gig, I was booked for t- 20 quid which I was quite excited about. <laughs> and then I turned up and then I turned up and, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said as a kind of white Jewish man that I, I didn't feel slightly worried about <laughs> this, you know, purely black audience, mainly of people who look like they've recently gone to church uh, and um, <laughs> they were dressed very smart. very oh, smart. yeah,
2: hell yeah. And, yeah.
0: Uh, and, and I'm not. Smart in the way I dress, and um, I'm mainly there to talk about my sexual inadequacies, like oh. many Jewish comedians. Oh. Um, and I think about three jokes in when I started to approach my um, my stuff about my lack of a foreskin. It was For not sake. an experience I was hoping to be. I never wanted to relive that. Again. You was in front <laughs> of
1: church aunties talking about foreskin. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. But, but I tried. To, you know what I did? You know what yeah. I did? Was, I
0: did actually adapt a little bit as I was going along by saying everything that I'm going to say. I clearly know that you don't want me to say anymore, uh, which (laughs) which did
2: did help a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a a learning curve, man. And I think, I think it's interesting about people talking about the experience on the black circuit. I I, I really think it's just down to, yeah, it's down to experience. If you have a large contingent of mainstream media, that doesn't really show you the range and Mm. the broadness of, you know, the black uh, social or ideological disposition. People find it very hard to relate because, if you, you know, because I would have similar problems myself. Not so much like maybe subject matter, but maybe terms of delivery. And yeah, I've learned from experience now that you take a look at a black audience now, and you know, give them that grace of being like. Part of it is kind of like knowing. I still wouldn't say the same thing, but it's the way to say it, and the, just to build the context first. Yeah, but even then, Howard, I say experience now. The last thing I did, which Howard was, uh, which uh, Travis was at when I did uh, Kojos Funhouse, mm. is like that was like a representation of the fact that like I understand this crowd a lot more now, and I understand the position I have to take with them in order for them to understand what did I'm doing. S- did
1: you start on the mainstream and, and go with Black
2: Circuit or the no, you No, my, my first show was actually uh, Funhouse, Coach of Funhouse. Oh, okay, right, okay. And then, and then um, I kind of, I didn't really do a lot of gigs because I just didn't really know about like, how to pursue gigs. What do you do to like, I get you, you know, that. get kind of gigs? So I think my second gig was the one we did. Remember that time in Luton? Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. so
1: bad about Luton? What's so bad about looting? <laughs> oh, that show was crazy. Uh, I quit comedy for a couple of years, remember? I remember
2: saying on the train home. Yeah, Yeah, because I just, did, I just wanted to learn about what I was doing, oh, how Jesus. to do it, and why I was doing it. And um, yeah, so Howard, Travis me. and I, <laughs> Travis was threatened before we went on stage. I remember because there was a woman that went on before. And so Howard, based on the experience you said as well, is because, you know, in many ways, black audiences have not been... Um, given the privilege of having comedians that reflect their experience anyway so mm. we it's taken a while for them to uh for their palettes to get used to the very different types of comedy in the same way that you could argue that white audiences is now are a lot more attuned to musical black origin in this country mm. more than they were like you know when i was at university for example yeah, yeah, so yeah. they've had they've had more exposure to it for the democratization of the internet and stuff so like me and travis did this gig in luton i remember it um being a, I don't remember the weather, but I think I'm going to say grey.
1: It was like it was like performing at somebody's. There was an E D L
2: march, remember? the, football, oh, the yeah, football yeah, march as well. It yeah. Yeah, was an E D L march as well, so you knew it was uh, going to go well.
1: Yeah, as soon as you step out the train station, it was very hostile, very, very hostile. Yeah. palpable in
2: the air, man.
1: Yeah, but then I remember like getting to the, the to the show and thinking to myself, this doesn't feel like a, a, a normal black gig. This feels very much like we're performing at someone's. Just like a, like a youth club, like a gathering like a youth of club everybody's a, friends. A youth club on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> a weekend not bank holiday youth club or summer holidays youth club. It's Tuesday. Oh, man. <laughs> Guy and, asked and, me halfway through one of my jokes. Like, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. So it's like, I was in this story. The <laughs> joke wasn't, it wasn't landing. And uh, he just went to me halfway through. He's like, where are you from, bro? Yeah, I remember that. I remember <laughs> thinking, oh, <laughs> snap. So I just said, oh, Oxford Street, central London. And he's like, yeah, that's not funny still. Last oh no! I'm ready to go home. So-
2: <laughs> we were out there quickly. <laughs> we, we left quickly after that, and no, I, but I did, like I said, I remember why that was a tough one because, I, I, yeah. which brings me to a point. I think Travis as well, because you know, you said you heard you heard whispers of people like that um, Andrew et side, etc., etc. It's a strange hmm. phenomenon because obviously, a big part of the narrative in the drive for inclusion is that we have opportunities. But you know, the entertainment industry, like any other industry, it is largely fueled by nepotism, and it's not always what we right. know it's to. You know, um, now this works beneficially for a lot of people that we see. Um, rarely, as black people, do we even have the opportunity to enjoy nepotism. Like, mm. so you know, is it is it something? Not, and not that you've necessarily gained advantages from it, but do you think yeah. it's something that should be a lot more encouraged? And it is... It's, you know what's interesting? Do what you think it's right? obviously been beneficial for you?
1: Because I, I don't necessarily. It's funny because I don't feel like I've. Actually, what I've gained from the relationship with my mom is having someone who knows stand up. And because she directs and she writes, and she's quite like she's very much moved to the behind the scenes of entertainment now. Mm -hmm. So when she directs, her directing skills are like elitist, almost up there with her stand up. Mm -hmm. So I had that back in me to the point where, you know, I'd write material and stuff like that. A lot of people probably imagine that we write together, but we never really wrote together. It's more like I present a joke. And then she'd be like, tell you where you could go. Maybe you could try this. And yeah, it was just yeah. that kind of, it was just that, uh, Actually, that bigger together. Yeah. Right, too, yeah too, but but right. this didn't get going until maybe three or four years into stand-up. Mm. She was very much like, you have to experience everything yourself because mm. I can't get up there for you. You're going to have to be a comic that gets up there, gets those skills of being able to improv when stuff goes left or things change. you got to earn those skills that cannot be taught to you in this house. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So she was very standoffish. So I feel like the gains came very much with my craft, more so than the opportunities, because, you know, my mom being big when she was and, you know, the type of success she had, she's very much an icon in the black community. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's no black gig or whatever. Or oh, most, facts. You know what I mean? I could stop most black women today and be like, Do you know, Angela Moore. And they're Yeah. But as yeah. far as mainstream reach and success it didn't really, it wasn't there for me to be like, yeah, I can walk into the BBC and they're going to be like, yeah. oh yeah, come in, crack on. It wasn't yeah. that type of benefit. But, you know, when it came to my craft and the pressure I had from my, my parents to deliver a level of stand-up, and my dad was very instrumental in it as well because he was her voice as soon as he on stage. How was that? Yeah, this happened, da-da-da-da-da. So it, both of their contributions very heavy. So that pressure of delivering quality mm-hmm. stand-up was where I felt like the, um, the involvement.
0: Amazing uh, to get that insight, I think, because it, it is, you say, Dane makes Travis quite a unique presence in our, in our yeah. world. Hey. And, um, what a, what a brilliant episode, mate! What a brilliant mixed bag of, of of questions in in this show. It's it never ceases to amaze me when we we do punch it. After
2: punch, line. punch after punchline, punch after punchline. That's <laughs> it. That was it. That was it. Uppercutting satire and all that stuff. All that Here you stuff, go, mate. There you go. I man, it's uh, obviously always good to hear from you, Trav. <laughs> um, no, nah, likewise, bro. Likewise, well. man. Um, so obviously I know your stuff. I know the jokes. Um, those who are listening, particularly the. Uh, finance versus greeting cards ones. Look out for that and many other jokes that Travis has. Um, so for our audiences, Travis, where can they find out more about your good at work?
1: Hey, follow me on uh, my socials and um, Twitter and Instagram. Travis J-E-N-T. slash so Travis J-A-Y-E-N-T. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm posting all my stuff and everything that's going on.
2: Nice. Cool. Um, also, uh, podcast.
1: Oh yeah, my, the Undefeated podcast. Follow that on, Insta- <laughs> on Instagram, the Undefeated podcast. And yeah, oh man, we just... So we've just been like working with the zone like recently. Man. Nice, yeah, that was a oh, great experience. Cool. Yeah, we was at fight camp, and I'm telling you, man, you talk about these fighters, but when you see them in real life, bloody hell, bro, it's scary. <laughs> oh, I've met David. Hey, I, I, I have the body of a child, bro. Listen, <laughs> Derek Chisora, most intimidating, oh, yeah, <laughs> most intimidating man I've met. He's in my life. so intimidating. <laughs> listen,
2: I went, I went to the gym yet. Listen to me, he went, you i got a joke for you. I was like, I'm all is. <laughs> <laughs> I am all ears. I am all ears. is, is yeah. What do you got, buddy?
1: <laughs> how should I deliver that? This is how he walked up to us here. Yeah? We're standing by the bus behind these little railings. This guy grabs the railing with one hand, moves it, beeline straight towards us. As he's coming towards me, I'm thinking to myself, wait, what have I said about Chisora? Because I'm thinking, <laughs> has, has he clocked our faces? He comes over, shakes our hand individually, stops. He opens the railing from the other side, takes a half step out, then he looks back at us and just goes, recognize a real lion when you see one. Close the barrier and walked off. <laughs> I had no idea how to process that. I'd say, no, I say, OK, sir. I was like, yeah, I see it. Yes, sir. I lion. see it. because
2: this. It's the thing about Derek Chisori, yeah, is that if you don't run enough in time, you can start running, but you won't be out of his the, the width of his body. Right. So you can start running, but you won't be out of his chest band. He's I'll, I'll, show, I'll show you a picture of me next to Derek Chisori. Yeah. <laughs> I've like, seen it, so I've hard. seen it, I remember. Yeah, you've I'm seen probably, it. Yeah. I'm a child next to this, this guy. It's a door. Yeah. He's literally as wide as a door frame. I've seen, yeah. I, he's a, he's, but I'd say more like a lift door, because two people can just see him at the same time. <laughs> like. He is a, not, he's a wardrobe door, at least. It's insane. you've wow, insane. insane. Travis, insane. Travis
0: you've, been a, you've been a great guest, mate
2: thank you guys thank you very much oh and also listeners uh, check out uh, Travis J on um, uh, Drunken Histories uh, alongside Ratman and KG the Comedian on Comedy Central UK on their YouTube channel as well Um, lots of good stuff Um, but yeah Travis it's been a pleasure brother Um,
1: good to see you and thank you very much for coming on thanks for having me guys thanks for having me you've been
0: listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane Go to danepaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danepaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste. Our guest was Travis J. You can follow Travis on Twitter and Instagram at travisjent. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at thehowardcohen. The show is mixed and mastered by audio culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQEPodcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything.